Hello and welcome to the Professional Horror Podcast, the podcast reminding you to stay hydrated. I am your host, the wonderful, the pretty, the wonderfully pretty Chris Donovan, and this week I am joined by the, god I don't know, the <laughs> the Silver Shamrock and the Cult of Thorn to my dangertainment, Megan and Julia Pendergast. How's it going, friends? <laughs> Gotta tell you, this is the fourth one of these I've done for the Halloween franchise, and I am running out. No, no, I'm not knocking it. Go ahead, please, please. <laughs> I'm doing well, and I don't. At this point, I'm looking at our um, camera, and Julia looks so much like Morticia Adams to me right now. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Which is in keeping with our spooky evening. <laughs> that makes me bugsy. <laughs> I think you said Wednesday, but I went with Pugsley. I didn't even question. I didn't even think about Wednesday. I, I'm not. A, you have time for I'm not a Wednesday. I'm I'm too upbeat and weirdly blonde. It's not real. <laughs> My sister's cats are Wednesday and Pugsley. Oh, that's, that's really cute. I like that. They combined for one eye between the two of them. What? <laughs> so one of them has zero eyes. Yep. Wednesday has one eye, and Pugsley has zero eyes. Get about. He he senses where things are mostly. He's pretty good at it, honestly. <laughs> he walks in the walls. He's he knows where things are. I don't want to make assumptions about a blind cat, but is is he fat? Oh yeah, he's fat. <laughs> My cat has both eyes, and she's fat as the dickens. <laughs> <laughs> she literally came over here, Chris, not long ago mm-hmm. to um rub up on me and demand more food. That's uh Beatrice, right? Beatrice, yeah, now she's napping. Anyway, on topic. Today, the movie we will be discussing, uh, we will be continuing my attempted journey to redeem the Halloween franchise by talking about the last Halloween movie in the timeline that I love, Halloween H2O, Halloween 20 Years Later, whichever you prefer to call it. I don't know why they called it that. I mean, it's catchy, but whenever I hear the title, I always just think of water, and there's no water element to be found here, but it's named that for some reason. There should have been a bigger wet element. There should have been a wet element. It's too much dry for that wet. But the um, I agree with you, and I'm glad because I actually did. I had a question which has now been answered. But I was tormenting myself because when I introduced Julia to Halloween H2O, which I had never seen before, she was like, "Well, H2O, like, what's it have to do with water?" And then I mentioned it in passing to a few other people, and they're like, "Oh, like H2O, like, what's the water element?" And I'm like, "Is it H20?" In my whole life, <laughs> I've just been thinking of it H2O, and I was like, "I have to ask Chris." but then you keep calling it h2o so i assume it is h2o and then it's yeah it's definitely supposed to be h20 for halloween 20 years later okay h20 is yeah um but everyone just always calls it h2o because i guess that's just it's the catchier way to say it so it's 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 h2o instead of they say it you know in the biz if you will in the biz yeah. So you mean to tell me that I was hip and I didn't even know it? Exactly. Uh, so the movie we're talking about today, this Halloween H2O is a weird one because it seems like after the deplorable mess that is Halloween 6 came out. We have to watch it. We have to watch it. This sounds, <laughs> this sounds too bad to give up. <laughs> it is just, it's so bad. Paul Rudd plays Tommy Doyle. Paul Rudd isn't a terrible movie that bad. Yeah, I think it's actually his first movie. The Halloween intros, Paul Rudd. Yeah. And Josh Hartnett. Whoa. And Jamie No, and Allison's actress, uh, Andy Matichak. Sorry, I'm too busy with the hunks to care about those women. Josh Hartnett is so hot. 
<laughs> well, I was kind of creeped out by how much, like, yeah, how, how, I'm like, oh, how, oh I'm like, my I'm like, God, he's been hot forever. For, I was like, how old was he really? And he was like 20. It's still kind of creepy, but like, oh, he's 20. Yeah, I think he was 20. Or like, he was 20 when it came out. He might have been 19 when it filmed, but, but now I'm, now I'm like a pervert man, but he was legal. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those, if you got to say it, you know. Like morals tell you no, but like you can, you can, you can, you can watch. Look, but don't touch. Hey, at that time I was only like six, so he's. The oh pervert. no, he would have been. The, <laughs> he would have been the pervert there. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, as I was saying, uh, talking about Halloween six after the. Yep absolute disaster that was halloween 6 that is where the the cult of thorn storyline comes into play and it is just just terrible if you guys do ever sit down and watch it i will tell you there are two different main versions of it there is the theatrical cut and there is the producer's cut they're both equally terrible movies but like at least the producer's cut makes like beginning middle and end sense like i can't recommend either really but if you're gonna watch it i would say the producer's cut is the better of the two well watching these movies makes me want to watch the rest of them why not yeah why not the fourth one's pretty good i actually i just met uh, at a horror convention a few weeks ago i met uh, danielle harris who plays jamie lloyd in halloween 4 she was super nice i also got to meet uh heather langenkamp from nightmare on elm street at that convention and she's a delight i'm happy to report i love her cool she's the best But anyway, after Halloween 6, it did seem that the Halloween franchise was sort of destined to be like, okay, now this is a direct-to-DVD sequel franchise. We're kind of done with this being like a a taken-seriously franchise. But Jamie Lee Curtis, actually, she was really instrumental in this change where she kind of got the ball rolling on, hey, it's been 20 years since the first one. Let's do do a thing about it. And in a way, it kind of became became like the first Mm -hmm. legacy sequel, which is kind of a ubiquitous term nowadays but this was like the, the first one where it's like you know wipe the slate clean let's just get the original people back into the movie and make a new version of it and and they got kevin williamson of scream fame to write a treatment for this and you know the rest is history wow that makes sense and i wanted to give you my unmitigated opinion on this movie mm-hmm. which is new to chris which is new to chris chris yep. hasn't heard it i've been i've been biting my tongue holding it i've been withholding <laughs> i was telling chris this is fun i should be withholding more often and then <laughs> Okay, Chris Donovan and yes, and gentle listeners. <laughs> Halloween H2O is my favorite Halloween movie, and no, I will not be taking questions. Yes, <laughs> we loved it. I loved it, Chris. Oh my god, I'm so happy. I loved it, and then I looked it up, and I was like, "Why has history been so wrong about <laughs> Halloween H2O?" And the criticisms I saw were as such: "Oh, it's only an hour twenty-six, perfect length for a horror no movie." No yep. Next. Yeah. Oh, um, they completely disregarded the movies three through six. Um, that's what all horror se- horror series did going forward. So it was a fucking hit maker, and it was not appreciated in this time. And also, everyone in the movie is pretty smart. Everyone mm-hmm. acts like human beings. It yep. has the best dialogue of any Halloween movie I've ever watched. Yep. And Laurie Strode's character makes sense. If I have one thing that I have to say negative about it, it's that Laurie's first introduction, when she's screaming and rising in her bed, I would say it goes on too long. I would say that could be cut. I would say that this movie could be an hour 25 minutes, and it would be the perfect Halloween movie. There we go. Oh, my God. I'm so happy to hear you, hear you guys love these movies. 
I'm so happy. We loved it. It was we amazing. I kept it. waiting for it to take a turn. I was like, this is going to get bad. Like, it has to get bad. And then it just ended. I'm like, I loved it. And and, and then also, <laughs> and then same with my, my constant refrain in every horror movie, even when it's unfair, because I know that people don't know they're in horror movies, but... Oh, I know we'll get here, but the treatment of ha- of the assumption of whether or not Michael is alive or dead is treated with the absolute <laughs> suspicion that it deserves the whole time. And it, that's never done in pretty much any other movie. Well, yeah, because they burned him alive. We'll go through the ways he gets Rasputin, but that was, I wanted you, I was like, I loved this movie. I wish I bought it, and I will. <laughs> That's how much I like this movie. I was like, this is so good. All the criticisms I read, I was like, wrong. these people are wrong, and I want to hunt them down. I want to see if they've changed their minds, <laughs> because history has smiled upon Halloween H2O, in my opinion. I am thrilled to hear that. I'm so glad I was afraid you'd be mad. <laughs> No, no, no. I, I personally prefer the original Halloween, but I do have a real soft spot in my heart for this one. I think the the kills are really cool. I mean, I think the characters are really good. So good. I, I really love this movie. I love this saga. You know, 1, 2, H2O is my timeline. I was When I was watching it this time, I was kind of thrown off because I'm like, I apparently don't have this on DVD properly anymore. The only I had two copies of this when I was looking for it, but they were both in one of those like eight horror movies on one disc collection so like the one that i watched it was like halloween h2o dracula 2000 dracula 2 halloween resurrection and like tales of a serial killer or something and i'm like what is wrong with me why don't i have this movie properly by itself i need to go out and like get the get a blu-ray or steel look or whatever the latest like release of this is because i love this movie I'm a hundred percent buying the DVD and I'm gonna and I'm I'm gonna make people watch it. <laughs> At least Caitlin. She'll like it too. Cause she'll, she'll like it. Well, well you mentioned the scream thing. It's it's very scream heavy. Like the vibe is like a, like scream, but to me, that's great. That's great. Like, I like that. It's like silly. It has like a more it's, like lighter, even though it's still very dark and like but mm-hmm. I also I love um obviously we'll we'll get there, but like I love Jamie Lee Curtis in it. Like yes. how she's like a functional alcoholic. She's chugging her wine. This she's drinking the vibe. Like it's like all that makes sense. This- and it, she makes a lot of sense. And then her oh what rules. This movie <laughs> makes me, uh, which I know, this movie makes me even madder about Halloween 2018 going forward because like, you mean to tell me you did a realistic depiction of what Laurie Strode would have been like after the events of Halloween 1 and 2 and then you just fucking disregarded it, also disregarded Halloween 2 and then made her like a caricature, essentially like a real, a poorly written ripoff of Linda Hamilton, Sarah Connor. Like, come on! Like, the work was done for you in 1998. Yeah, so I know a lot of people, one of the common criticisms of this film is that they think Jamie Lee Curtis doesn't sound like she's playing Laurie Strode in this movie. It seems like she's playing Jamie Lee Curtis. And I do get that to a certain extent. But I also feel like, you know, it's like... It's a 17-year-old character who, like, what 17-year-old sounds exactly like they do at 37, you know? How can you project what they're going to be like? I feel like with all the trauma and all of the coping mechanisms they would have had, she would have had to go through, this does feel pretty realistic. I mean, sure, she's probably more sassy in this movie than she is in the original Halloween, but I feel like it's it's good. I feel like the performance is really good from her. The functional alcoholism scene was so good. Yeah. Like, in terms of, like, I mean, well, well I guess we can, okay, we, we can get there. We'll also, off the Let's bat. Off the beginning. Off the bat. 
it says opening scene it's kind of like almost like an orange day freshly rained and then julia says days like these aren't often represented and she's right in and, movies you in know movies. like it's shitty like it's not really raining but everything's wet Cloudy. Actually, before we dig into that scene, I do want to have I have a couple more administrative notes I want to get to up top. First of all, yeah. in Kevin Williamson's unofficial treatment that is that turned into Halloween H2O, originally he kept Halloween's 4, 5, and 6 canon. Oh. And I have to say, I'm really glad that changed over time. I'm glad they were not kept as canon, not just because, you know, Halloween 6, the Cult of Thor and stuff was just dumb as bricks but even halloween 5 halloween 5 would be the worst movie in any self-respecting film franchise like halloween 5 is terrible and then halloween 6 happens it's just it's so bad halloween 4 is actually pretty good so it's just kind of funny the the reason why i'm glad halloween's 4 5 and 6 are no longer canon though is because of the character of jamie lloyd played by daniel harris jamie lloyd is playing Laurie Strode's daughter, who the parents died off-screen in a car accident. And this little girl, she has to go and live with step-family. She's literally, like, tormented at school. Like, they bully her for being an orphan. What the hell? Haddonfield is the worst. Yeah, they literally are, like, chanting at her, Jamie's an orphan. It's like, these horrible people. <laughs> but and not, And then on top of that, she has to deal with Michael Myers coming back to attack and try and kill her if laurie strode was alive during all that and just let jamie lloyd go through that by herself then she becomes like an unrepentant dick of a character so i'm glad that was changed for laurie strode's sake yeah me too i agree another weird note to get through really quick is that apparently originally john carpenter was planned to be the director of this film he was going to come back and you know full circle direct this one as he did halloween one the problem was is that he wanted a lot of money to do it i think i don't know if it was inspired by this but i think it it reminds me it's similar to the wes craven's new nightmare kind of situation where the producer of new line cinema bob shea he offered wes craven like a bunch of money and like what he called retroactive participation basically being like we made so much money off of your idea here's some of that money we made that would have been possible without you i'm going to give some of that back to you for you to make a new movie for us and that's kind of what sort of healed all wounds between Wes craven and bob shea and i think john carpenter was expecting that to happen here but the the weinsteins gag were not super into that idea and they balked at that which is why directing uh duties went to steve minor who was the director of friday the 13th part two and three mm. he's no slouch <laughs> no wonder I say, no no wonder i am enamored I literally kept waiting for the shoot to drop. Like, oh, this movie's gonna get bad any second now. This is not a universally beloved movie, and then it turns out the universe was wrong. It should be beloved. <laughs> uh, and uh, despite Kevin Williamson's treatment, the actual writers of the film were Robert Zappia and Matt Greenberg. The film is a 5.8 out of 10 on IMDb and a 55% approval on Rotten Tomatoes. Make that a 9.2 and uh, <laughs> an 88. <laughs> Only because I'm allowing for differing opinions. <laughs> it's very gracious of you, Megan. But we start just as we did last time with a little bit of Mr. Sandman again. Mm-hmm. Which I love. Yeah, it's a good little ditty. The beginning of the dream. And we start in the town of Langdon, Illinois, not Haddonfield. This is actually the closest this film will get to Haddonfield. And honestly, I'm, I'm gracious at this point. <laughs> 
Same. I didn't miss Haddonfield. I didn't miss Haddonfield at all. At all. Oh, that was another complete. I feel like people were saying like, oh, what, what about Haddonfield? And I'm like, I was glad we're out of there. Like, it's not really that great of a set. No. No. So we start with nurse Marion Chambers once more. She's showing up. Uh, she sees that someone has tried to break into her house. So she goes next door to try and, you know, call the police or something and runs into someone wearing a hockey mask. But it's not a Friday the 13th crossover at all. It's baby Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yes! Yep. He's named Jimmy. No relation to our last Jimmy, though. Different Jimmy. Different Jimmy. That is one of my notes is Joseph Gordon-Levitt in all caps with a question mark. <laughs> and then I hope, he, I hope he doesn't die, which we find out soon what happens. There's a great line in this scene where Jimmy's buddy is talking to Nurse Marion, and he's like, "Haven't anyone told you secondhand smoke kills?" And she goes, "Yeah, but they're all dead." That was good. (laughs) That was and and there's used a lot of levity in it already. And I liked Mm. how, um, like, immediately she like doesn't go in the house. Like everyone seeks help, so she goes and seeks help. And then those kids and they take her seriously. Yeah, I liked all that. And then they're like, "Oh, we'll go check it out." Also, cool note on the filming of it. I liked because Mr. Sandman, obviously, killer. And then she goes to the front door and then she's fiddling with her keys with her keys. And Julie and I were both discussing how like stressful key fiddling is a like a hallmark of horror, really. And then as and she drops her keys, and as soon as she drops her keys, the music cuts out. And that was a cool that was really great, I thought. And she immediately seeks help which makes her more likable, realistic, and memorable than she's been in any of the other installments we've seen. Yeah, we were talking about this a little bit, well, I was talking about this a little bit last year when we did our Halloween Kills episode. I was like, you undid her death in, in this one to bring her back in Halloween Kills, but she has like so much less of a character in Kills. She's more of a character here yes. with less screen time. No, yeah, she, I agree. I hundred, yeah. I completely agree. This is the first movie that she was like actually a real person rather than like a narrative device. I felt like, and then I was very much obviously based on the setup. You know, pretty much how it's gonna go. But I was hoping against hope that she would survive, or Joseph Gordon Levitt would survive, or the guy that Julia mistook for Jamie <laughs> Kennedy would survive. <laughs> and then a, a note, not even a criticism, but a laugh. This is a note of unity. We're not intimidated by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, despite his juvenile record. And Julia says, I don't buy that he'd get suspended. He's not pulling off the bad boy look. He's precocious chewing gum. And then hopefully they can start growing too. Yeah, I definitely took that as him trying to put on an air of toughness rather than that being who he actually is. But I really like that scene where he's in the kitchen and he steals the beer. And when he gets out, he's like, ah, oh, man, they did a real number in your kitchen too. Man. Okay, see you later. That and then just funny. leaves. That was funny. Yeah. That's good. That this, was good. This movie yeah. already has more intentional laughs than one or two. I also don't buy that Nurse Marion uh, buys Jimmy's store. She, she's probably just like, yeah, you stole my booze, whatever. It's fine. Yeah. And you all, like, I'm sure she also heard the ruckus. Yeah, because he bashes the kitchen with uh, his whatever hockey stick. So then Nurse Marion, I like this moment where she goes back in the house. She's basically like, screw these cops. They never showed up. But she still, when she's in the house, she sees the back door open. And that still gives enough pause to nope out of there, which is smart. And yeah. then she goes back to Jimmy's house. So we see Jimmy with a goddamn ice skate lodged in his face. Like, that was gnarly as Good hell. Good kill. Good kill. Glad we never see it. And uh, another fun little background note, similar to the original Halloween, the 50s horror movie in the background, Jimmy is watching Plan 9 from Outer Space, which that's an interesting choice for a movie to be killed too, I suppose. Whoa, cool. It's it's one of, it's regarded as one of the worst movies of all time. It's like, it's got aliens, but also zombies. It's a weird as hell movie, but it's kind of fun, honestly, I'm not going to lie. 
And we see that the other kid is also dead. He's been killed because Michael Myers yes. is here now. And he is, I believe at this point, currently wearing the mask from Halloween 6, which it's a fine mask. There's definitely, there's worse masks in this movie that we'll get to at some point. And uh, so Nurse Marion gets to run around. She gets to show some cool uh, survivor instincts. She gets to hit Michael with a fire poker. She's desperately trying to get to the cops who have now finally shown up at her house, but she can't get there in time. She's like trying to bash the window to get to them. It's really cool. That was a good, that whole sequence was really good. And that was actually mm. like the suspense was built. Marion was great, and then also like because I know that yeah. the, like there's like a framed picture of Dr. Loomis, which is weird. It's weird to have that in your house. <laughs> and then that's the moment when Julian are like, so Dr. Loomis didn't die in that massive explosion, but he is dead now. Yeah. And also not to mention, this is the second time in the timeline where Michael steals Nurse Marion's car. Bit of a jerk move. Yeah. Guy. Yeah. I mean, at least the first time he had the decency not to kill her, and then now he fucking, <laughs> like, he couldn't take the car without killing her. But, like, what you guys were alluding to, this leads us to a really cool, like, opening credit scene that I really like, where an actor by the name of Tom Kane, uh, yeah. he does an impression of Loomis's monologue from the first movie over, like, clips of Michael, like, drawings and stuff. Oh, that was a good impression. I kind of assumed mm. it was a lift. I thought it was just, like, um, I thought it was, like, a lift from a previous movie, so yeah. that's impressive that that was an impression. And this version of the Halloween theme that plays over those uh, drawings and clippings, for some reason I always feel like it's by Danny Elfman because it has that sort of feeling to it, but it's not. It's by the name, it's a guy by the name of John Ottman who has this very like a cool orchestral version of the Halloween theme that I think is really, really good. I love it. Yeah, that was cool. And at this point, we already, my next note is after pretty good opener, expectations are exceeded. That's awesome. And then from there we have, as you mentioned, Laurie Stroh's dream, or should I say Carrie Tate's screaming awake <laughs> and having a PTSD trauma dream. And then also another note, introducing Josh Hartnett, followed yep. by so many newspaper clippings we're meant to be picking up on. <laughs> I know I made this point in our previous episode about Halloween 2. The note here is, I think they made a mistake not making his interest in Laurie psychosexual. Yeah, I mean... Uh, there is still a familial connection in this movie, but the reason for like, the answer to the question, like, why now? It's, like, super random and doesn't really make much sense. We'll get to that point later, but it's just, like, uh, it doesn't kind of make sense with the story that they're telling in this one, but what are you going to do? The So when the scream wake up, oh my god, what a scream wake up, a little extreme. <laughs> <laughs> She's got the lungs, man. She's got the lungs. And she's a scream queen. I, like, respect them wanting her to scream. But, like, and honestly, I, I mean, would I cut it? Probably. But it was really funny. <laughs> and then we have uh, her son. We introduced her, as you said, introducing Josh Hartnett. Josh Hartnett plays Carrie Tate's son, John Tate. And he's kind of like an aggro little shit to her. Mm. Like, in the moments where he's talking about he wants to go on this trip to Yosemite, he has this one line that's just, like, so rude. I think I know what it is. Yep, where Carrie is like, your father's an abusive methadone addict, and she's like, and he left you. Like, bro, what are you doing? <laughs> I wrote, wrote that. We wrote that down, and then we also wrote, shots fired, Hartnett. <laughs> We don't know uh, who Josh Hartnett's father is. I know Jamie Lee Curtis and uh, Steve Miner were asked this question, and they both were like, we don't know. I can't imagine it's Jimmy, because Jimmy does not seem that, like, 
abusive methadone addict. No, the abusive no. chain smoking yeah. methadone addict. And to think he left you. See, again, in terms of like the levity and like the, the to me, I mean, maybe that just reveals something about myself. I consider this good dialogue. <laughs> this is what it does a lot to show the familiarity between the two obviously you know they're their mother and son but it's one of those weird things where like josh Hardett's character is trying to both push laurie's buttons but also get what he wants and like i don't think that's ever worked in the history of things man but he's 17 so it makes sense but as a the more we watched this movie me and julia were both like wow like laurie reminds us a lot of our mom <laughs> and i was like I super related to like the way he was trying. Humor's the way to go. Humor's the way to go with something like that. And it does, I would say, I would say it works, I don't know, like three times out of ten, but it's higher than most things. <laughs> so we learned that Carrie Tate, or Carrie Tate, I'm, I'm not gonna call her Carrie Tate, she's Lori Strode. We learned that Lori, she is the headmistress and also apparently the English teacher at Hillcrest Academy, which is this ritzy, gated private school in California. And I know we talked a little bit about this uh, off mic. We talked a little about this with the Halloween 2018 trilogy, but it's just, to me, feels like such a much more realistic outcome of Lori's trauma. She's not, you know, in a bunker waiting for the day Michael escapes. She's changed her name, moved across country to a safe, secure location. Yeah, and she's a helicopter mom, which I think also makes sense. And she's facing her problems with alcohol and pills. This is another thing we were talking about off mic uh, that I'm going to talk about now. It's sort of my, one of my retroactive complaints with the Halloween 2018 trilogy, which is, what is Laurie Strode's job? Like, how did she make enough money to afford these houses, these survival bunkers, these armaments, these booby traps? Whereas in this one, she's an English teacher. And from what we've seen in, in, of Laurie at Halloween 1978, English teacher makes a lot of sense. Yes. And it's like a nice, fancy mm. place. She probably gets paid well. And it's all really well put together in the sense that, yes, she's like the headmistress of this place. She's the English teacher. She's having like an ill-advised kind of, I know that she's not married, but essentially like kind of affair with this guidance counselor or whoever he is. And then they go off to go out for like lunch during the school day and she's fucking sculling who's while he's in the bathroom. It's just, you don't generally see that represented, but it, it's like, seems like a real person, like a real flawed person. And then also she's helicoptering over her son, but she has this whole section of her life that he's completely not privy to. So from there, we do meet uh, the rest of John's friends. We meet Charlie, who's made by, who's played by Adam Hanbird. And mm-hmm. I can't get through this next section without, um, without explaining what I learned today about his oh. character. And I cannot stress this enough how much I dislike this. But apparently when he first signed on to the film, the film was going to be Halloween 7... The son of Michael Myers, and he was supposed to play the son, and they were going to have a whole thing where apparently while Michael was in Smith's Grove, he like sexually assaulted a nurse there, and uh, he was playing the kid who resulted from that, and just every single word of that sentence is wrong. Everything about it, I hate every second of it. I'm glad they didn't go with that. I'm so glad they didn't go that route. Same. He, and also, he is not a Michael Myers type guy. He's a dweeb. He's a dweeb and like not to knock him, but the girl he, was too hot for him. The girl was too hot for him. That was shocking that the two of them were a couple. It was like of the four, like of the friend group, he's the most forgettable. But apparently when they did change the script and they're like, actually you're gonna be the horny friend, he was like, I've always wanted to play the horny friend. So, you know, he seems like a cool guy, I guess. 
But Charlie's, as you put it, too hot for him, girlfriend. His, her name is Sarah. She's played by Jodie Lynn O'Keefe. Uh, but there is a, a fun, I want to call out, there's a fun line Charlie has. It's a good psycho reference where he says if John doesn't get out from his mom someday soon, he'll be running a hotel in the middle of nowhere with her. <laughs> That's a good reference. That's a good reference. That's funny. This movie's full of them. We also meet John's girlfriend, Molly, who is played by Michelle Williams. Who? Julia? Oh, yeah. Such thin eyebrows. Looks like a porn star. <laughs> I love her though. She's me too. I love Michelle Williams. Yeah, she's great. She looks great. And I love that she's in a a horror movie. Yeah, it's great. Uh, So despite the big game John was talking to Lori earlier, he and his his friends all seem to have decided that they don't want to go on this Yosemite trip anymore. So they're gonna they they all want to hang out back at the dorm by themselves. And as Charlie puts it, quote, have a Halloween party and a roving orgy. End quote. Which, like, sure, man, I guess. He's a weird guy, and then it's weird that he's a girl he's that's weird. so hot. Yeah, and then it's <laughs> obviously Josh Hartnett's a dreamboat and a half, and Michelle Williams is also gorgeous as hell, despite her alarmingly thin eyebrows. He just seems like he doesn't really make sense in the friend group, then he's, like, weirdly sexual. They do have that one scene where she's like, I love food. I hope you don't mind if I get super fat when we get older. And he's like, I think obesity's hot. Like, they have such a weird dynamic between the two of them. That was weird, but it it did feel like a weird conversation that weirdos would have. <laughs> like, it's felt like something I, could, I might overhear and be like, oh, I've got to tell someone about this. <laughs> At least they're both weird together, you know? Yes. Yeah. Like, if we're just one of them bringing the weird quotient into these scenes, it'd be off. But since it's both of them, it's kind of whatever. Yeah. Agreed. Then we have a scene of a mother and daughter pulling up to a rest stop and uh, in their Model T car, it seems. And uh, this scene was used later on in Halloween 2018 with a lot more violence. And this scene in this version is a lot more just about like what Michael might do. Like they use the suspense angle more. Yes. Which I think is it's relatively effective. I think it's just, you know, a mother and daughter each trapped in their own uh, bathroom stalls. You're like, oh, what's Michael going to do? I but. actually, I thought it was really, I have my notes that, it was a terrifying setup for a kill. This movie is much more effectively suspenseful than Halloween 2. We've all been in those awful road trip bathrooms before. I was experiencing a, like a lot of nerves about what would happen to that mother and her kid. And then thank God he just stole her purse. I like, I mean, I guess kind of similar to the scene in Halloween 2 where he just goes into that couple's home and steals their knife, spreads blood on the cutting board, and then bamooses out to kill other people. It like, I, I thought it worked. And I like that the, uh, the, the little girl in that scene, she screams and the mother's like, oh my God, this guy just took my yeah. keys and is now my daughter screaming and she rushes over, but just because there's a spider there. I liked that scene and I was so, and I like was, I guess it works because I was so relieved that nothing happened to those people and I cared. Uh, and then we go back to the school. Laurie Stroh is giving an assembly, which, which is basically just saying like, don't fuck at Yosemite because the school has an image to uphold, you know. But then I think Sarah has a funny line where like Sarah and Charlie are like, we're going to have sex at the school though. John and Molly are like, y'all are weird. And Sarah's like, we can't embarrass the newlyweds. And it's true, you know, it's weird. And it is true. It's like, why are these people friends? Two of them are just, like, these weird sex addicts. The other two are, like, you know, more normal people, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that's very yeah. true. I agree. Weird. And here we're introduced to two new characters, the first being Norma, Laurie Strode's receptionist, played by Janet Lee, Jamie Lee Curtis's actual mother, and everything out of her mouth is a reference. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was funny. If I can be maternal for a moment... <laughs> Yeah, I like that. Was, I like that. It was I was on the nose. It worked it. for yeah. me. We'll see. It was like everyone's entitled to one good scare, and I'm like, for some reason, again, like, yeah, it worked. 
it, I find this movie infinitely charming. Yeah, uh, but like her character's name is Norma after Norman Bates. Uh, she says her first lines about how there's something wrong with the women's showers. She's driving the same car from Psycho. Yeah, it's I just, like that. it's just Psycho, Psycho, Psycho. She delivers the everything once tiled to one good scare line and when she's walking to her car even there's a few soundtrack flourishes of the original psycho theme it's just really nailing you over the head with it but i like it you know and we also meet the guidance counselor will played by adam arkin and he's probably easily my least favorite part of the movie he's just so weird i think julia may i think um i'm not seeing it right now but um, I think Julia made a comment that, like, oh, if this was a Scream movie, he'd be the killer. <laughs> yeah, he's, like, off- he's off-putting. Yeah, that might be my issue. I think he's just too off-putting, and I get that Scream killer vibe from just be the normal guidance counselor boyfriend. And they are, they French hard. Mm-hmm. The two of him and Jamie Lee Curtis, I'm like, whoa, <laughs> they're going for it. I feel like they're competing to access each other's tonsils. Like, I was kind of impressed. Like, you don't normally see, like, 40-year-olds, 40-year-olds going yeah. at it like this. I also love, he describes Laurie Strode as challenging, and I just feel like that's not the best thing to say to a woman. I'm like, I'm not the best with women, but it seems like a rake you're stepping on unintentionally. Yeah, but to be fair, she is very challenging. <laughs> <laughs> Well, then it's like she just got she just got like a freaking roasted by her son earlier for getting dumped by a chain smoking methadone addict who's abusive. So it's like I think she knows that she's probably not the easiest person to get along with. And then we meet another new character and maybe the best character in the whole movie, security guard Ronnie, played by LL Cool J. Who I refuse to remember as Ronnie and just call LL Cool J throughout all of my notes. <laughs> He's so good, though. He's so and good. When he, and when he comes in, I said to Julia that if he survives this, he'll have survived a Halloween and a shark attack because of Deep Blue Sea. True. Yeah, man. Deep as blue as my hat is like a shark's fin or whatever that weird song he did. With. Oh my gosh. I love yeah. that. I love that song. <laughs> And I loved, I loved, well, love is an extreme word, but I really enjoyed the dirty poetry he was reading to his woman. And then it was a funny thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then, the, and then, well, that's the other thing. I feel like every character who has lines, they're interesting. And then the wife, you have no idea what she looks like. She's just on the phone and is like, I want to have a baby before I get so old. I can't get my butt back. Like that's like, funny. That's funny. Yeah. And LL Cool J's character, Ronnie, is trying to be an erotic fiction writer. And props to him. He's already ahead of so many male writers in that genre. He's already gotten a woman to hear and critique his work before it goes out. <laughs> and she's making fun of him. But then when she when he later goes to check on like the, you know, the suspicious noise, suspicious car, rather, she's pretty much like, damn, you're leaving me hanging. Like, she's turned on. Like, she's like, she's into it. Like, she's making fun of him, but she's also into it. I love that scene where he's like, I got to call you back, honey. There's something at the door. And she's like, oh, no, 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 no. I'll stay right here. Like, she's hooked on the story, which I think that's just fun. She's yeah. a supportive wife. And he's like, they're like, they're a good couple. And again, you never see her. Like, I am rooting for their marriage. I love in that first scene where we're introduced to, to Ronnie, where he's like, they're two round melon breasts. And she's like, melon breasts? What are you talking about? 
like, what melon? And that's a good point. Yeah, she's like, huge. Watermelons yeah. and cantaloupes. Yeah. Uh, so, but then uh, John and Charlie show up at Ronnie's security booth to basically give him a jump scare, but then also be like, hey, man, we're trying to go get some alcohol for our, get some stuff for our date for, you know, for the roving orgy and try to convince him to yep. let them go. Unfortunately for them, Lori and the guidance counselor, Will, are also having a date in town at the same yep. time. And that's what Lori calls two consecutive wine glasses while her boyfriend's in the bathroom. <laughs> that's such a top tier scene The where she asks the waiter, like, hey, can I get another glass of wine while she still has a full glass of wine in front of her? And then just, like, chugs it down while he's getting the new wine. Again, like, that's something that someone would do that just isn't generally represented in movies. So, the, which is a weird thing to say about, like, the seventh entry of a film series where I'm like, oh, like, I feel like this, like, says more about people than most horror movies. Same with El Goulding, honestly. Like, he's a security guard, but he has, um aspirations to like he has higher artistic aspirations he's clearly like happily married but like they've got like funny thing going on and then he's he's got like a rapport with josh hartnett and like they're friendly and he's appropriate but he's also like and then it's like he doesn't want to be a security guard his whole life again it's like human stuff that i feel like too many horror movies just don't bother with those moments and those moments make things interesting to me yeah they all have something going on under the surface which is a great way to write characters mm-hmm. there is another weird scene another one of those will is a weirdo kind of scenes where Lori's having a very serious talk during their date where she's like i think i'm losing john i think he's sick of my bullshit and finally what about you are you sick of my bullshit and he's like i'm a counselor i'm attracted to it like if trauma is your fetish man don't be a guidance counselor of all things (laughs) oh wow i'm attracted to trauma in every element of my life like well i guess she's so fucked up that she'd have to be with someone who's fucked up but no, weird, no thing to say. weird thing to say and he is like it's like if you're a therapist that's one thing guidance counselor yeah. guidance counselor is like directed at children yeah that makes it weird. yeah and he i would agree that he's probably my least favorite character but i don't even actively dislike him which again is a credit to the movie i was just excited to yeah and you knew it was coming as soon yeah. as they started frenching i wrote in my notes this guy is so dead because there's no way michael I'll let this guy live. Meanwhile, with John and Charlie, there's another really great line that they have where Charlie walks out of the liquor store with a bottle of booze and he's like, why don't we just swipe this from your mom? Why do we have to do all this stuff? And John's like, my mom's a functional alcoholic. She'll notice if there's booze missing. She keeps track. And then John and Lori have like a really big like knockout argument on the street. It's actually a really great scene, I think. Oh, that's a really good scene. They're both acting their hearts out. It was brutal. Like It was like a good fight. And then you're like, oh, geez, like that felt, um, it felt pretty real. Yeah, like there's that one line at the end where John's like, if you want to be handcuffed to your dead brother, that's fine, but you're not dragging me down with you. And it's like, oof. Yeah. I like that he already knows about Michael. I like that he's shared that much with him. Yeah. I think that's a good move. I think a lot of other movies would have made her telling him a big reveal and kind of almost built the movie around that. And him already knowing makes it kind of inert, but in an interesting way. Like he makes a like he makes a sarcastic offhand comment to his girlfriend about it, and she obviously thinks he's joking. Again, it just makes the the mother son relationship more real. 
their relationship just seems real like seems real like she's a helicopter parent they've got like a not a great dynamic going on but like they obviously love each other it's all like the whole thing is just pretty fraught but in a way that i found interesting and then not overly like you know melodramatic then we do have a bit of a weird scene where molly is working at like as like a dishwasher and something comes down to the dumb waiter and it's a message yep. from john that's like a, uh, some flowers and a map and she follows the map too i don't even really know what to call it it's not a dinner it's just like a room with some chairs and like a cup for the flowers i mean i don't know they're, they're, they're kind of a dorky fun couple but it is a kind of a weird moment i think i call that chekhov's dumbwaiter yes, yes that's a joy to call it chekhov's dumbwaiter <laughs> and then literally once that dumbwaiter was introduced i was like i can't wait to see the kill that that uh that revolves around this dumbwaiter and it turned out there were two <laughs> There is a part of me that kind of wishes that Michael also did the map thing, where he, he drew some kind of map leading someone into a kill. Like, he wouldn't know the geography of the school, but still, it would have been funny. Yeah, it would have been funny. I think around this point, I liked when they're when uh, Jamie Lee Curtis or Lori is teaching a class about Frankenstein. Frankenstein? <laughs> Frankenstein, I'm drunk. Frankenstein. <laughs> Frankenstein and about the obviously the parallels that's pretty cool and then Molly spots Michael kind of like how Lori spotted Michael in the first one in her English class and then they tease the score and I, I took note of that like that was a good score tease and I don't like I, I'm making a lot of notes about that in this movie the mm-hmm. stuff that they, like, I think that was a cool move I like that yeah and I also I also love the uh, in that Eng- English scene Molly delivers the message of Frankenstein as Victor had to face his monster and obviously that resonates with Lori. And that obviously builds up the climax in a really satisfying mm, way. Yeah, for sure. And then at the end of the class, Lori has changed her mind and she gives John a permission slip and is like, yeah, go, go to Yosemite. Go have fun. Yeah, go pack right yeah. now. And she just has such a really good mom line in that scene where she's like, so just call, call, call again. And if you think all too yeah. many times, call one more. That's such a mom line. It is. It is. And I also, I was telling Julia when we were watching it, I thought I liked that whole thing where he, in the beginning, he's trying to get her to let him go to Yosemite then as soon as he goes to school his girlfriend's dad flaked out on financial aid so she can't go the the other friend has been before and thinks it's really super lame and she doesn't want to go and then her boyfriend obviously wants to stick around to bone her so that he gets in trouble so he can't go and then it's just such a teenager thing like Josh Hartnett wants to go but then it's like oh wait my friends don't want to go so now I'm going to pretend I don't want to go and I'm going to stay with them instead Uh, obviously his mom eventually lets him go and then at that point he doesn't even want to go because his friends don't want to go and they want to take advantage of the fact that everyone's going to be gone it all just works it does uh if this is one of those things though where i just want to like yell at josh from like josh your mom doesn't trust you because you're untrustworthy but granted he's a 17 year old kid so it makes sense that he's just kind of rather than just saying hey my friends don't want to go i'm not going either they do this whole run around kind of thing he's 17 yeah, and then it's like if he if he told his mom that I don't want to go, I want to hang with my friends, and she'd be like, "Well, you have to be home by this time, and you have to do this." Like he knew, like it's all teenager stuff. Hypothetically, I really wasn't like that as a teenager, but I need to understand that under people four. Same, honestly. But then we have a, a couple of things. We have the Norma jump scene, as we talked about earlier, because when all, all the students are leaving for the um on the buses to go to Yosemite because there's too many people for a horror movie on campus at the moment. We need Michael Myers to show up when there's less kids. Yep. Just like the the hospital in Halloween too. And then we see LL Cool J who's just the worst security guard. Like I've been a security guard for years. Never let Michael Myers onto my uh, into my building before. Not even once. <laughs> 
Well, that's your credit. It's pretty funny because Michael just like okie dokes uh, LL Cool J. He just like parks the car. LL Cool J checks the car, and then Michael just kind of sweeps around it him. It's pretty funny. I thought he was so dead in that scene. I was oh same. That was wrong. Yeah, Michael just kind of leaves him be. I don't know. Maybe he's a fan of uh his his music. Maybe he's a fan of the erotic literature he's working on. He he might have liked his poetry. Michael works fast though when he's on the scene. He just immediately cuts the uh, the phone lines the second he's on set. You know, classic Michael move. Oh, sorry. No, I uh, one note I saw, I saw when um from Josh Hartnett and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis acting up a storm, arguing, and then him saying that Michael's dead, and then she goes, "I didn't exactly see his ashes." <laughs> <laughs> That's like such a good line. <laughs> it is. It's good. It's like I didn't see his ashes. I just saw his uh bod- whole body engulfed in flames. You know, modern medicine. You never know these days. No, you're right. Anything people can uh, revive from anything. And what has he been doing the last twenty years? I don't know. No, and I don't really need to know. But it is. It be- the question is begged. Yeah. Yeah. There is uh one scene though that just completely breaks my brain. I'm sure you guys. I mean, I know you guys love the scene, but it breaks my brain because it makes zero sense. Like Will is like talking to Lauren. He's like, Hey, I gotta go check on a few students and. Then we can go back to your place, like make out or whatever. And then he goes to check on Molly and Sarah, and they're watching Scream Two. Yes, mm-hmm. I loved that. Yeah, it's great, but it's just it makes so little sense that Scream Two like exists in the Halloween universe. <laughs> like in Halloween One, I mean in Scream One, the end of Scream One, they're watching the end of Halloween One. So like, how yeah, can yeah. Scream Two exists in a world where Halloween is fictional? It just it makes zero sense to me. It breaks my brain. The only explanation I can come up with that makes any kind of sense, I guess, is if John Carpenter, immediately after the events of Halloween 1, just directed like a based-on-true-events movie called Halloween, and that Halloween would go on to inspire that version's fictional scream, I guess. I love it. But you're right. It doesn't, like, no, it doesn't make sense, but it's, like, it is so feeling-based, because I feel like it doesn't make sense, and I don't need it to, but, like, if if it, but in a different type of movie, if this movie took itself seriously, I would need it to, but this movie pretty, like, that's probably why it's my favorite of the Halloween movies. It's the only one that I feel like is, like, jovial. Speaking of weird and, like, not making, not taking too seriously, the interaction Will has with the kids is so weird, too. So weird. Yeah, where the Will's like, oh, what are your plans for tonight? And Sarah's like, oh, we're going to go to the town, get some guys, put some rubies in their drink, have a whole date rape situation. And they're like, yeah, do you want to come? And Will's like, I can't get my nipples pierced tonight. Like, what? Yeah, that was so that weird. Was bizarre. <laughs> so but weird. That was so bizarre. This guy's got no boundaries. Yeah. He's like a bad guidance counselor. But then, and then I mean, it, it makes sense in the sense that, like, him and Lori's relationship is extremely inappropriate. Yeah. When they go into a room together, he immediately lunges and starts hard making out with her. And then they, he kind of badgers her into, like, leaving campus to go on a date in the middle of the day, which is also inappropriate, where she yeah. chugs Chardonnay. Like, the whole thing. The two of them, I mean, they're kind of a good couple in the sense that they're fucking, like, off the rails. Yeah. yeah, it's like they're enabling each other's bad behavior. It's not a good relationship, but it is a realistic relationship, I think. Yes, he's probably the character I like the least in the movie. But yes, he's not a normal guy. He's weird, he's fucked up, and he's obviously like also perverted. <laughs> Which is like not 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 a knock so much as just an acknowledgement. And then I also think someone like Lori, based on the way her character is portrayed, she probably needs a guy who's going to badger her, otherwise nothing would happen. Agreed. And then we have a few scenes of both Lori and Will and also the teenagers, the roving orgy crew, as I've been 
calling them, having like weird food foreplay. And also, why do people in movies always have so many candles? Like, what is going on there? We know that way too many candles, especially for teenagers. I mean, it's way too many in general, but like, like, a te- like teenagers, you're gonna light that many candles? No way. Yeah, right. It would take forever. I've never been in the room, I never room with that many candles. No, it's like a, ma- a six max if you're making a point. Yeah, but then <laughs> it's so weird. Lori now thinks that during this weird pumpkin seed food foreplay, this is the appropriate time to trauma dump on Will and be like, hey, by the way, I'm Lori Strode. And Will thinks it's like a kinky role play yeah, thing. Yeah, it goes with it. For long, and then he's like, "What?" It's funny they made like a middle-aged guy so horny. Yeah, <laughs> like I like it. I like the representation. It exists. It does. Uh, but yeah, then Will finally no. is like, "Oh, this is yeah. this is real." Okay, that and then he starts taking it seriously, and then again, I was referring to this earlier. There's this really weird revelation in this scene where Lori sees the birthday card that her methadone addict husband got her got john and then is like oh my god john 17 just like i was when michael attacked and when judith was attacked and so we i guess 17 is michael's lucky number yeah. it's mine too it's my number on the football team you and michael you got you got some stuff in common it's pretty cool well and also fun just this is just my take man not saying it's correct it's funny too because he obviously goes after josh hartnett's character but it's like he's still pretty laser focused on laurie it's like josh like that's like a target as well but it doesn't it's not like oh wow now this this has superseded my attention on laurie he's like he's still he went after he went through marion's uh paperwork to find information about where laurie's hiding went across the country and avoided killing someone in a bathroom to continue uh, the search to find Lori. He avoided killing LL Cool J and is like going for Lori and John. Yeah, like the 17 thing would make a lot more sense if Michael was now like, eh, Lori, you're over for me. I'm after John now, but he's clearly not. That's not his MO in this. No, it's like he's going to kill John, but it's like not, um, and it's not his priority. It's not his priority. If it was his priority, he would have killed him before he killed the two that we're going to get it to. Right. Um, so after this realization that Lori has about the 17 thing, uh, she notices that the phones are out and that John's back to Yosemite is still in his closet. So she keeps she grabs the revolver. She apparently keeps under her goddamn pillow out. That's a mama bear. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So we cut back to the, as I've been calling it, the, the roving orgy gang. And Charlie, uh, he's looking for a corkscrew to un- open the bottle of wine that they got. And he takes the, uh, the dumbwaiter, the dumbwaiter's back. And some props to Charlie, because he apparently, he avoids the garbage disposal trope in this scene, where he he gets the corkscrew and he drops it in the sink, and he puts his hand in the, in the sink to get it back, and avoids getting his hand gobbled yep. up in the garbage disposal, as is the trope. That terrified yeah. me. I was so nervous with the garbage disposal. Yeah, same. It's It always squicks me out in movies when that happens. And honestly, it makes me happy I've never had a garbage disposal in real life, because I would just be terrified of this exact thing happening to me all of the time. Me too. Me too. I don't want one because of that. Yeah. But then Charlie runs into old Mikey Myers, and Michael in the scene is wearing the worst mask in the entire film and franchise, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, that was bad. Uh, for most of the movie, he's wearing, I mean, for, for the beginning of the movie, I think he's wearing a mask from Halloween 6, which is a pretty solid mask, all things considered. And then after that, he's wearing one with, like, frizzy hair and eye holes, which is not great. But this one, he's wearing, like, a CGI mask. It's awful looking. Yeah, I do think I remember when they showed him. But it's pretty quick. And then you... Yeah. Uh, so we cut back to Sarah, who's saying, like, hey, Charlie, no sex games till I've eaten, which priorities, I guess. Uh, and this is a really cool sequence where she sees the, the dumbwaiter opens up and we see Charlie, <laughs> whose uh, neck has been slit with the corkscrew. And Michael apparently sent it down. Yeah. 
yeah, to like cut off her entrance and then walk downstairs to like so she's cornered. She goes up the dumb waiter and Michael cuts the uh, the rope just Escape. as just as she escapes the dumb waiter. Uh, the dumb waiter collapses down onto her leg, which messes up her leg and it's really gnarly. Yeah, <gasps> that was such that a was good. good. I thought and felt, she was good. Like, I thought that was a really good scene. She was a really good victim. Like I was really, I kind of felt similarly about her in that scene as I did in Halloween too with Karen with the with the uh, hot tub or the sorry the sorry the um whatever call it the hospital tub <laughs> where I was like oh shit I said my note is Jesus this girl she's fucking tenacious I hate that this is happening to her and yeah. she's really trying she's giving it her all and these teen lovers making me root for them yeah but then uh, Michael just like stabs her a bunch of times and then when John and Molly go up to go check on her I don't know how michael pulled this off but like she's hung up on like a string on like a light and the light bulb is in her stomach illuminating all of the blood on her out of there it's i don't know how he did it but so yeah, cool yeah. looking that was, yeah, cool. that was cool and that harkens to like the first halloween when he was doing all those sorts of stunts with the corpses yeah i, I like corpse stunts i think that's cool yeah i like when michael is doing a little trickster stuff with the his work uh and then we have john shows up and michael stabs him in the in the leg and so there's he's like oh crap michael myers is real and so they're yep. running and it leads to one of Great. the coolest scenes in the whole movie which is they get to a gated room and molly drops her keys so they're stuck between a gated door and a dorm room door and michael just picks up the key ring and starts going one by one trying to it get the is. that in. was so good it's so suspenseful. That was really and good. them banging on the them banging on the door reminded mm. me of the hospital scene in ha- Halloween too as well. Yeah, but then uh, before Michael can get to the kids, Laurie shows up, opens the door, pulls them through, and closes the door, which leads us to a face to face through the glass of the door of Michael and Laurie, and it's so. I love that shot. Oh, it's such a good shot. And also, really having good. rewatched Halloween yesterday, when Laurie goes to drop off the keys at the old Myers house, and then uh, Michael's on the other side of the door, and he first sees her through the door, and she's on the door. I told Julia another reason why Halloween H two O was amazing because <laughs> that was like the, that was the first their first encounter and then a oh it's an oh a stressful key scene a slasher staple so stressful yeah as George Lucas might say it's it's like poetry you know it rhymes. <laughs> so good and that was a great that was a great face-to-face confrontation and like i don't know it, the, the weight of it was there i don't really know how you can achieve weight i guess it's like loom like this oh by the way this michael looms he looms so good yeah he was really like, good he's this michael's really good i think like i really like i i every time he was on the screen the malevolent presence was felt by me yeah this uh michael is a little bit slighter than some of the other ones but he's he's played by an actor by the name of chris durand who also played Ghostface or one of the Ghostface actors in Scream 2. He's pretty good at this movie, I think. But then in this action sequence, we have Lori, who's trying to get the kids to safety. She sees like a window blowing with a curtain there. She goes, oh, Michael's probably already inside. But then Will pulls Lori's gun because he sees a shape and Pat Pat shoots, but it's LL Cool J. Like, bro, what the hell? And I, oh. that was a Ben Trainer throwback with like the meaningless death. Yeah, that's how I felt anyway in the moment. And then, and then I could understand it because I thought it was Michael too. Yeah. Yeah, but Michael pulled the old okie doke on him and was actually behind Will the whole time and stabs him in the uh, the back or the side, similar to the nurse in Halloween 2, and picks him up by the knife. But he's just like weirdly sh- convulsing and shaking in the air before he drops him. This At this point, 
I was I was upset. I was like, shit, they killed LL Cool J. Tragic. Fuck, God damn it. And then I said, why isn't this movie universally beloved? This guy has menace for days. I get Lori love now. She's a great actress. She is. Uh, but there's some fighting. Lori hits Michael on the head with a fire extinguisher, which is pretty cool. So good. And she gets the kids out. And then there's actually a fun little scream reference right here. I have it written down, Chris. <laughs> yep. Where in Scream, it's a reference to the original yep. Halloween where they're like, go down the street to the Mackenzie's house. Becker. Yeah, in this one, it's like, go down the street to the Becker's house. So this is a reference to Scream. It's like paying homage back. See, that's a Scream reference that doesn't shatter the space-time continuum. I loved it. The Halloween reference in Scream turned into a Scream reference in Halloween. It was horrible. It was perfect. <laughs> so Lori closes the gate and she smashes the controls to open the gate again. And for me, this is the moment of the movie. This is the most iconic, amazing thing in the movie where she grabs an axe. She walks out into the middle of the courtyard as the music starts, you know, slowly kicking in, slowly kicking in. And then she just stands there and she yells, Michael! And I'm like, fuck yeah, this is awesome. This is the cool shit. It was, the the pump up was so real. I loved it. And I like that she sent her son away. And then, yes, like, that for was safety. That. Like, again, behaving like a mother. She was behaving like a mother. She was doing the smart thing. And come back, like, until it's over. You know, like, she did, the, she did the smart thing. She saved the kids. Like, it was set up in the in the Frankenstein scene. <laughs> that, um, it's like, she's got to face her demons. She's got to face the yeah. monster. I made a note that damn Lori is unhinged and i never want to see this bitch on a hinge again because she's so good like this and this makes me hate the halloween's 2018 onward even more than before why did they even make them this movie accomplishes what they were going for in a fraction of the time with better characters and dialogue and the nemesis thing actually worked in this movie which i don't think it worked at, for me at any point in halloween 2018 to 2022 uh, we can talk about why they probably needed to do it at the end unfortunately money no, it's worse than that. Um, so anyway, uh, you guys were saying, like we're talking about like, what has Michael been doing in the 20 years in between 1 and H2O? Apparently the answer is hitting the gym. Because <laughs> he goes behind Lori with this like zero gravity one arm pull up maneuver. It's insane. He's dangling from the ceiling. Yeah, Silent it's nuts. Pull-up. Yeah, graceful. That was terrifying. Yeah. That was cool. I think he was trying to impress her. (laughs) (laughs) But then in the uh, ensuing fight scene, Lori drops the axe, because of course she drops the axe, and they have this weird, like, table fighting game where, like, he's on top of the table. I thought that was great. It reminded me of Matilda. It was really cool. Like, he's just, like, throwing these tables around like it's nothing. It's really impressive. That was scary. That was scary. scary, yeah. He was really intimidating, like, when he dangled from the ceiling, and then he was, like, he emoted really well, and he was extremely scary and also wrathful. I was, the suspense was like, it was tight and I was gasping. <laughs> uh, but then Lori stabs Michael with like the a flagpole that has like the flag of California on it. That's, that's kind of fun, I guess. Unusual horror weapon. It is so fun. Mm. Uh, and then they have a, a knife fight and the scene that I, in this part that I really love, I think it's so cool, is when Lori pops out of the shadows with two knives. She starts stabbing Michael full, uh, full of holes and then he flies through the window into a, through a table. And this time, I re- and I really, the way he's acting, like literally the entire movie, it's probably his most consistent movie in terms of like quote unquote motive. He's singularly going after Lori pretty much. Like that's his whole motive. And I like that. Yeah. He, he loves killing along the way, but that seems to be what his primary motivation is. Yeah. Uh, but then in a kind of weird moment, uh, right, she's about to deliver like the absolute final killing blow. LL Cool J is alive and stops her for some reason. Yeah. I was like, what? 
He's like, she's all, he's already dead. But then that was funny because it's like, it makes sense that that guidance counselor would miss all the shots. It does make but sense. But it did seem like he got a few, but like, yeah, that was funny. That was funny. I was willing to accept it. I also noted that this is, in terms of Lori and everything going on in this movie, this is so much more impressive than having a lame-ass bunker. <laughs> like, this is just, like, the whole setup is so much better. And I loved the love for Scream in this. Like, it was, it's, you could just feel it. I liked that. Yeah, and I like how in the next scene, though, uh, LL Cool J's on the phone with his wife, and he's like, I'm gonna write an erotic thriller. I'm like, yeah, man, get that bag, dude. And I also love that he can the writers of this movie time travel because the fact that after all of those gunshots, LL Cool J only has a, like a single bandage on really harkens to Scream 5 and 6. <laughs> I was like, wow, it's like a future reference. <laughs> Yeah, the pool just grazed him. He's fine. But right after that, it's like we have a moment of, yay, Michael Myers is dead. There's not, nothing to worry about. But, you know, Lori is unconvinced, obviously. And she just, like, grabs a cop's gun, tells him to load it in the car and drives off with them. That was, I loved that. I love how seriously she took him not being dead. Like the entire, every time that there was a possible moment he was dead, she didn't believe it. She goes full on psycho and I respect the hell out of it. And then Julia said at one point when she's driving, erratically driving the coroner's van, how many black bags has he ripped his way out of? (laughs) More than a few. (laughs) Probably a lot. And then I loved the sequence where it's like she's driving frantically, he's moving, and then she's kind of looking. When she looks, he stops moving, and then he like rips his way, he rips his way through. She like is able to maneuver in such a way that he goes through the windshield. And then like I also appreciate uh, the warrior's code where she's like, "Get up, get up," and then she doesn't run him over until he's standing again. <laughs> she wants him over and then off a fucking cliff the whole thing it's just she's not taking any chances and then when uh they get flung down the cliff as you said luckily for Lori, she lands next to the axe not on top not like with the axe inside of her that would have been a pretty awkward situation uh but michael gets pinned uh by the van up against uh like in between the van and the telephone pole which is really intense and then Michael's just kind of like holding his head. He's like looking around, like, what? what's happening? What's happening? And Michael like reaches out to Lori, and Lori, and they touch hands briefly, but then bam, Lori gets him with the axe, with the music sticking in the back. So cool. I love that. That I wish that would have been like, if that was the definitive end of the series, I would have been so impressed. Yeah. Because I thought it was, Lori was amazing, and her entire arc I thought was really great. I also thought her son's arc was really good, and it wasn't overly melodramatic. He didn't have to eat crow about um, being wrong about Michael, and it just didn't really matter, because why would it? Yeah. But a lot of movies I feel like would have wasted a lot of, t- first of all, one, wouldn't have had, especially since she changed her her identity, wouldn't have had Lori tell him about Michael, and that, that would have been a whole scene, instead of just the kind of brief scene with her boyfriend. And, and then, it was funnier to have him just, Josh Hartnett, sexually antagonizing her all the time about how fucked up she is. Yes, that was funny. <laughs> it was yes. fucked up, but it was funny. It was Julia, I think Julia said, which I totally agree with, it's like, they don't make, like, moms this fucked up anymore in movies. Like, especially yeah. ones that are supposed to be protagonists yeah and it's like i appreciated that i thought it was really um it was kind of relatable i i I, um she did remind me of my mom and (laughs) yeah i agree i think this is just 
an amazing end of this saga. Jamie Lee Curtis's story is great, and that ending with the decapitation, with the music sting behind it, is just such an. And then just fade to credits. It's amazing, and just like, yep, that's that's it. That's done. Never to be resurrected again. Never to be brought Ever back again. again. All the, sta- the stabbings. Is there also shooting of him, or was that only of LL Cool J? I think this is the first Halloween movie where Michael Myers isn't shot at all at any point, which is kind of oh. weird. He gets stabbed to death, and then he goes through a windshield, gets run over, then he gets knocked down a cliff, then he gets pinned by a car. Too bad that car wasn't full of explosives like the car that killed the poor Ben Trailer. Because <laughs> then he could have been on fire and then decapitated, and then that would have been cool. But yeah, I loved this movie, and Julia and I both said that watching these two Halloweens, being Halloween 2 and Halloween H2O, really made us more fond of the series in general. Because Halloween 2018-2022, like, I 2018 was fine, but then Halloween ends, I'm sorry, Halloween Kills, I didn't like. But Halloween Ends, I hated. And I didn't like Laurie in the, those movies either. No, I mean, so it, I never really liked Laurie, now I like Laurie. Yeah, now I get Laurie, and now it kind of makes me mad, because I feel like she, I what feel I, as, I like Judy Greer, but what a downgrade of a kid. I mean, Josh Hartnett was where it was at. Yes, and then... <laughs> I, and again, the whole movie, I kept thinking, oh, this has got to go off the rails and get bad because it must. And then it never does. And I'm like, I just wish they ended it there. But, you know, I know franchises, that's not exactly how it works, especially horror. But you mean to tell me you never tried to get Josh Hartnett back? You Dude, never. for real. I all right, you know what? We're going to talk about this for a second. Uh, Megan, do you remember that book I, I let you borrow uh, last year? It was uh, Slash of the Titans. It was that book about all the potential Freddy versus Jason movies that never got made. Yes. So that author also wrote a book about the Halloween franchise. Yep. He actually wrote two of them. One, they're both called Taking Shape, one and two, which I think is a great title, first of all. Yep. But the second one is all about the potential Mm -hmm. Halloween sequels that never got made. And it is, like, as big as Slash the Titans is, it was like 320 pages or something. The Lost Halloween sequels is 600 pages. Yes. And of those pages, only one of those pitches involved Josh Hartnett's character coming back. Like, what? Wow. Makes no sense to me. Especially with what happens in the next movie. I have It blows my mind that no one was like, it's Josh Hartnett's franchise now. It's his time to shine. Let him go nuts with the next movie. I feel like this movie has been lost to time and that... A lot of the, based on what I was reading on TV Tropes and Rotten Tomatoes, a lot of the criticisms I feel like are very dated in the sense that, for example, the the anger that it like retroactively erased like Halloween's four through six, then Halloween 2018 did one better and erased all of them except for the first Halloween. Yeah, that's such a commonplace thing now. I don't think it'd be uh, re- referenced as an issue in modern movies. And that was a huge detractor for that movie. And then also, again, the length, which I think the pacing was so good. There was pretty much no fat. Was even like we're talking about now. It's like, oh, like there's some, but everything moved the story along and it never dragged. And I think that that is like, a, that's a hard thing to achieve. And it did it, did it well. It was funny. Josh and Curtis, like they were good. Yeah, I think if there's one issue I have, it's like there's not a lot of on-screen character deaths, which is, it's not a big deal, but it is something, I guess, when you're watching Slasher. But I think one of the the biggest issue with Halloween H2O is just the fact that, man, did Halloween Resurrection take the wind out of the sails immediately after. It just immediately kills off Jamie Lee Curtis, right? Some bullshit. I won't watch it. I'm too angry. Oh, it's worse than that, actually. Um, So, Halloween Resurrection, uh... When it begins, it says that 
actually Laurie didn't kill Michael Myers at the end of the last movie. What actually happened was when a paramedic went to go check on Michael Myers on the table he had fallen onto, Michael reached out, crushed the paramedic's larynx, and then swapped clothes with him. And no one noticed? Nope. So Michael just walked away, and apparently everything we saw in the van was just some random paramedic. The falling out of the van, the sitting up like Michael, all of it paramedic. She just killed a random paramedic, is what the, oh the record is. That God. is like, that's worse than bad writing. So she did all of that kind of stuff to just a poor innocent paramedic. <laughs> Which also, there's no way he would have survived, and why would the paramedic have tried to strangle her? Yeah, why would he do the Michael sit-up? Why would he stop moving in the body bag when Lori looked back to check on him why wouldn't he just take the mask off and be like look that i'm not that guy it doesn't make sense yeah. or same with you go through the window and then you're able to get up and you're just going to confront the car like you're going to fight it instead of fucking running away yeah it doesn't make a lick of sense but then how so halloween resurrection begins with that idea and then the rest of them it start the rest of the beginning of the movie is laurie is now in an insane asylum herself for killing an innocent paramedic and then michael shows up and kills her within the first 20 minutes of the film and then the rest of the film is buster rhymes making a like scariest places on earth style online web show called dangertainment and they're gonna have all these kids running around the myers house filming it is so bad this is an affront it is it's an affront wow it's an affront and i hate it that's awful. I watched it once when I was a kid, and I just had such a vehement, visceral hatred for this movie. It still burned into my head, honestly. But that is why Halloween 2018 and that trilogy exists, is because this movie was, Halloween Resurrection was so bad. Glory, yeah. It's, you had to redo it. Disregard. It's a disregard, disregard the previous ones, yep. I'm mad at Jamie Lee Curtis for coming back for that. There's a reason for money. it. Money. Surprisingly, not money. Actually, the reason why it all went down the way that it did is because uh, Mustafa Akkad and his son Malik Akkad, who owned the rights to the halloween franchise and michael myers they have a certain set of like contractual rules you have to follow in order to make a, a halloween movie one of those rules is that michael myers can never be killed off so this was sort of like the compromise they had come to after jamie lee curtis had discovered that they couldn't kill him off is well let's end it on this sort of cliffhanger that makes it think you killed michael myers off and then have her come back to be like oh never mind michael's back and then kill me off real quick in the next one so you can keep making your Halloween movies without me it's so annoying and like we've done it it's been done over and over again how many of these movies are even arguably good like probably five I'd say 1, 2, H2O, Halloween 2018, and probably Halloween 4 is a, is a fifth one. It's pretty all right. Halloween 3, I haven't seen since I was a kid, and I hated it when I was a kid. But then again, I was like, where's Michael Myers? So maybe it's good. I'll rewatch it at some point. People try to compare Halloween ends to Halloween 3, so that doesn't give me a lot of hope. It's not, though. I mean, one's an actual anthology, and one is like pretending to be an anthology. Which, that reminds me, quick bitch, if I may be allowed. The Halloween TV and movie rights are being shopped around to different studios. And on Twitter, people like Elijah Wood. I'm not trying to knock Elijah Wood. I love Elijah Wood. We all love Elijah Wood. Yeah, I love him. I do. He's w one of many people sharing this opinion, but a lot of people are saying like, oh, they should uh, buy the rights and do what John Carpenter and Deborah Hill want us to do, which is make an anthology show. And on, I'm just going to say the time for a Halloween anthology series has come and gone. It's a Michael Myers franchise. Now. Yeah. You can make horror anthologies, and they do. Like That's what American Horror Story is. Yeah, why would you spend millions and millions of dollars 
to acquire the Halloween franchise IP and then make a movie or a TV show without using any of the IP from the Halloween franchise. You can just make a horror movie or show set at Halloween. No, you're right. True. There's no need for it. Yeah. There was no need for it. It's like, yes, if we go back in time, it probably, if you want to do the anthology, then they shouldn't have done Halloween too. They should have done Halloween with Michael Myers. Then the next Halloween should have been another story. Like it maybe would have pissed people off, but like to do Halloween one and two with Michael Myers and then try to do a Halloween three that's separate. That's confusing. Yeah, once Halloween 2 came out and it was a Michael Myers movie, the anthology ship, it sailed. You know, it's a Michael Myers franchise for better or worse. Probably both. Probably both. Probably both. For better or worse. I I, I love Halloween H2O. I I do have to say, it warms my heart to hear you guys say you love this movie, though. I loved it. I was like, I was... And I kept waiting for the shoe to drop, not unlike the shoe in Halloween 2. And it never did. The shoe stayed on the foot the whole time. And I and then same with every time that Michael seemed like he might be dead. And I'm like, oh, Lori, don't, don't. And she never did. She always kept distance. She was always trying to kill him more. She, she was, was smart. Just, she was smart. She was tenacious. She did not rest until he was dead. And the Halloween, the Halloween H2O, I'm so glad that's where they decided to end the franchise. And that they never did any more Halloween properties after never again never again the last halloween they did was in 1998 and they ended up being halloween h2o i'm really glad they didn't try to undo that with a unnecessary sequel and then try to redo that with a rob zombie rom and then re-redo it with david gordon green who likes to seemingly piss on legacy horror movies nowadays wow could you even imagine if they did that i'm so glad they did it <laughs> Good thing David Gordon Green just stuck with the funny stuff like Pineapple Express, which I know and love. I mean, not to, well, I'll keep it brief because I do have to go to bed. <laughs> I've got the septic man coming tomorrow, but that's another one of my beefs, my endless beefs that could, I think I could write a dissertation on how much I hate Halloween ends. But one of my beefs with that is that all of a sudden the townspeople are pretty much like Delore, like, well, you were too mean to that Michael Myers. Like, and it's like last movie, literally all of you fucking lost your minds, started to attack him with random household objects instead of guns. Like people were like, I, I mean, I don't think that anyone actually had a stapler, but it was kind of like to that effect. Like they're based, it was a bunch of useless shit. And then uh, of course there's the mob mentality that killed the poor escaped old guy. And all of this, and then literally right after it, it's like it's totally a commentary on the series, which I do think is actually like a decent commentary when it comes to Doctor Loomis, when especially the obviously first and second ones, which is just like all we really know about Michael. Of course, he starts killing. So then I disagree with Doctor Loomis. Is like oh, like six, he killed his sister. He's been in a mental asylum for fifteen years, and he's never spoken since. And then Dr. Lewis is like, he's the embodiment of evil. It's kind of, before he gets out, it's it's kind of an extreme stance to take on someone who did one act of violence and has been in a mental asylum and hasn't spoken since. It's like, are you projecting? Like, it is pretty extreme. So, like, I get, like, that is a decent commentary for, like, a viewer to make, but inside the universe to be like, well, actually, maybe you shouldn't have been so mean to poor Michael and then he wouldn't have murdered all those people. It's like, oh, come on. Way to victim. Yeah, and all those people getting radicalized apparently by their local radio DJ, who I guess is their local Alex Jones. Like, come on now. Ugh. You never work, it would never work that well. You would have, like, no. three characters in the movie who believe that. 
And also, he's not like Alex Jones hosting a podcast. He's hosting local FM radio. Yeah. Like, what was he just sitting there like, hey, Laurie Strode seduced Michael Myers. Now here's the Maroon 5. Like, what? <laughs> and again, that this harkens to the earlier point where they are, it's just weirdly sanitized. It should, like, the, the move is to make Michael Myers obsessed with laurie strode and not because she's his sister just because he wants to just, kind of fuck her just because wh- for whatever what, yeah for whatever fucked up serial killer reasons he's fixated on laurie strode and that comes up in a lot of those movies but then they try to be like oh it's because she's his sister and then it just i think it just makes the most sense because like he didn't get to kill her yeah it's like she was just like one of those bimbos in the first one and then he was like kind of saving her for last he liked her the best probably yeah it seemed like he liked her and, the best but like not, it wasn't that much of a difference and then didn't kill her so it makes sense that he would like get obsessed with her, yeah and, and then he goes after her in the hospital and he doesn't get her then and it, like i mean obviously not actually a love story but in terms of like building it would build like a love story in the sense that it's like chance encounter like things keep getting more meaningful and then like you get reach the apex yeah she's literally the one who got away i thought that was the direction they were going in 2018 which is when he sees her he looks at her and goes you I know you. I couldn't get you back in 78. Yep. I'm going to get you now. I feel like that's just a natural, normal thing, uh, progression of that story. And you don't need a lot of character for Michael to pull that off either. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think that that would be... And that was another reason that I liked Halloween H2O was like the opening scene with Marion and she was acting smart and being like a, uh, like a recognizable character for the first time in the series. And then he gets the information on where Laurie Strode is hiding and then he fucking goes. He like he drives a car until it runs out of gas and he steals another car. He's so preoccupied with getting Laurie, he doesn't even get to kill him. And that I think is like, that's out of character. That's like, that's meaningful for him. Yeah. I mean, when I walked out of Halloween Ends, out of the theater, the first positive thought that i could muster was over (laughs) that too but also that at least i have halloween one halloween two and halloween h2o as like my trilogy (laughs) like after halloween 2018 i was like you know what maybe this timeline could be better and then when it got to the end like nope this is it this is still the one this is it halloween one two and h2o are the ultimate i agree yeah i agree too it's the father, it's the father, son, and Holy Spirit of the <laughs> Halloween franchise. Yeah, I loved him. It gave me a deeper appreciation for Halloween. Oh, this was, oh, sorry. This is very much out of order, but I just noticed this note that Julia said when Michael was reaching for Lori, and then Julia said... It should have been psychosexual, yeah. 100%. 100%. Cause it already kind of was, and now it's just weird with the sibling thing. Yeah, it's, he's, yeah, he's reaching for... It's just yeah. like the, like, again, it's... It's unnecessary. It's uh, the, him getting there and the stop. It's just very... It still comes across, but then with him being her brother, it is like weirder, but then also unacknowledged. So it just, it just still it doesn't really click also they just keep doing this like in halloween 4 jamie lloyd and michael myers touch hands they also have a moment like that in 5 they do it here in h2o they also do it in halloween ends but it just it makes less sense when it's done there than yeah. any other time and in this one they've got like a fun i mean not for her but kind of they kind of have like a fun rivalry where it's like they're going head to head under tables she's got an axe like it's the two of them against each other and like they're interacting with their scenery and there's other people around them but it's like that's the setup but in the new halloween franchise it was like they refused to make it simple but not in an interesting way it's just like adding a bunch of uninteresting characters who just fill a room but don't seem to have any like they don't 
don't seem none of them seem to have thoughts like internal motivations they're all they all just exist the scene they're in that's all yeah they're just like gen- generic like mob characters so it's like uh in south park whenever they get an angry mob together they'll just stand there being like grumble 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 you exactly know? <laughs> Right. It, is, it is, yeah. And I just, like, that's one of the reasons why H2O just hit a sweet spot. I'm buying it. I'm getting the DVD. I'm putting it in my I'm putting it in my cabinet. Hell yeah. Dude, I'm so excited you guys love this movie. I'm not going to lie. No, I was so glad. <laughs> and like I said, uh, like I told you guys over text, next time you guys are on, I'll have you on for, like, either a Scream series or a Friday the 13th series. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Julia did, Julia did say he should have us on for some Friday the 13th. Or Scream, either one. No, yeah, for sure. Friday the Scream team. I don't know which one will come first, but we can do like a series thing like we did with the Halloween franchise. We have seen all, I've seen, we've seen all of both of them. Yeah, we have. <laughs> it was a lot more of an accomplishment to see all of the Friday the 13th. I know I've said it before, but I'm just going to say it one last time. I was surprised by how much I liked the Friday the 13th reboot in 2009. I really liked it. It was one of my favorite of them. Like definitely top four. Yeah. It was good. Yeah, I uh, I think I first saw the Friday the 13th remake when it was, I think I saw it in theaters, don't quote me on that. I think it was legit, like, I just turned 17, I'm like, oh, I can see already horror movies yeah. now. And I went to go see the uh, Friday the 13th remake, and I thought it was it was fine. I think one of my issues with the movie, granted, I haven't seen it since it came out, but I think one of the issues I had with it was, uh-huh. um, I really like part one of Friday the 13th, and to see the Pamela Voorhees section of the remake be relegated to the first five minutes with a really poorly acted reenactment just kind of started off on the started wrong foot. Started off wrong. Started yeah. off wrong. All is forgiven when they get fucking murdered. In my book, I'm like, well, yeah. They, they, did, they did good, uh, and then also that that movie. Well, that's Friday the Thirteenth. It was funny. Like uh, one, like the the the, the douchebag is like fucking some girl, and he's like, your tits are stupendous. Like just, and then I remember I was I actually watched an interview with him, and he was like embarrassed by the line, and the guy, the the person who was directing it or whatever was like, like no, like people are gonna love this, like they're gonna think it's really funny, and then he did it, and he, and people love it. <laughs> it still comes up. He's like people still, and he like so it's, it is funny that um they were like assuring him, it's like no, it's gonna land, and people are gonna find it funny. Yeah, but well. We'll, we will save the Friday the 13th time, uh, talk for the next time you guys come on. I'd like to thank you once again for talking Halloween 2 and on H2O with me. We've recording for three hours now. <laughs> <laughs> we, Woo! we did it. All I have to say we did is it. this is not my longest conversation. <laughs> <laughs> no. We talked in the, in the car on the way to like Delaware. We talked about Halloween ends for, may, in, for like maybe seven hours, honestly. Oh my god, my throat was so sore after that weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I literally lost my voice. Yep, same. <laughs> no easy, no mean feet. <laughs> nope. So thank you guys once again. Really appreciate you guys having you on. And I cannot wait to talk about the Friday the 13th franchise with y'all. Hey, professional horror podcast people. You know what time it is. You know who it is. It's Chris Donovan from the future. Rel- future relative to when this was all recorded. This episode is a lot later than anticipated. But we also had a lot more audio issues than could have possibly been anticipated. Which really... It was a struggle getting, trying to fix this episode into a place where it was palatable to your ears. I hope I succeeded, and I hope the audio issues issues were cleared up and did not disturb your enjoyment of our my amazing, fun conversation I had with Megan and Julia about Halloween 2 and Halloween H2O. 
With that being said, got to do the usual rundown, you know. If you're listening to this, you probably have a podcast app you enjoy. Your podcast app of choice, your Apples, your Spotify's, your Googles, whatever the case may be. Whatever your app of choice allows you to do to interact with the show, we hope you, we encourage you to do so. We would really love it if you did it. It would really make us feel a lot better. Like, rate, subscribe, review, whatever, whatever you can do, man, makes us happy. You can also follow me on Instagram at Professional Horror, or follow me on Twitter at the underscore dot underscore 17. And if you have any suggestions you have for like a movie you want me to cover or a guest you'd like me to have on the show then please email me at professionalhorror at gmail.com really excited for the next few weeks because and we're getting back on schedule we're gonna have the second ever professional horror podcast quiz show in the works we have my top 10 horror movies of the year that i'm cracking on uh, watching movies for to make that list and then we're gonna have a lot more movies movie reviews games the works in the new year and i'm excited to bring it all to you so until that time until next time stay scary but keep it professional